Hey guys, we are so glad you're here with us at Journey Church Online. If you're interested in getting more information about Journey Church, we have a messaging service where you can text the phrase, My Welcome to 94000. This will help you get to know a little bit more about Journey Church. Also, if you want updates texted to your phone about what's going on here at Journey Church, please text the phrase, My Journey to 94000. As we get ready for today's message, take a minute and share this video with someone. The small action of sharing this video on social media could be the start of life change for whoever sees it. Lately I've been reeling, watching the nightly news. Don't seem to find the rhythm, just want to sing the blues. Feels like a song that never stops. Feels like it's never gonna. Gotta get that fire, fire back in my phone. Good morning, Journey Church. Man, hope you guys are uh, doing good today. I know you might be fighting a battle because I know that you got an extra hour of sleep last night, maybe. But I also know Halloween was yesterday, and you probably stole a little bit of candy from your kids. So maybe you're fighting off a little extra rest mitts with a sugar coma. But I believe God wants to say something to us uh, today regardless. And I'm excited about launching this series with you guys today called uh, choose joy. And we have a lot of things to celebrate here uh, at Journey Church. Just this past week, it's a little bit of an odd week, right? We've experienced uh, some storms. It's been a little bit of an odd year. But uh, last Wednesday, we had an amazing time here for retro night with our students. And so uh, in this room, the same room you're sitting in right now, there were over 100 students here uh, last Wednesday. Several of those students gave their life to Christ, and we had a chance to to impact a lot of others that we had never met. So you guys... Man, go ahead, celebrate it. God is doing uh, some tremendous things here. Pastor Tony and his team are doing uh, a tremendous job also. But we're not just excited about that. We sense as leadership that God is up to something. Like that something is about to happen, that he's doing something new, and he's doing something fresh. And the result's going to be a lot of people are going to experience the life change that God has to offer. And part of that, we believe, is this series called Choose joy. We're expecting God to do great things over the next several weeks as we walk through uh, the book of Philippians and discover and work through the thought that joy is a choice. That it's not based on what goes on around us, but it's something that we choose to operate in. It's something that we choose to experience. So a little bit of background since we're going through the book of Philippians before uh, we dig in this morning. Just to let you know why it's there and, and how it got in the Bible to start with. And then we'll dig into what the actual letter has to say. Philippians is that. It is a letter written by a guy named, named Paul. Maybe you know who he is. Maybe not. But Paul began his life by the name of Saul, and he was a persecutor of the church. He was doing everything that he could possibly do to stop the growth and the expansion of the gospel. And one day, God radically changed his life. And in a moment, Paul went from being someone who was doing everything he could to stop the church to someone who was doing everything he could to spread the church. And so he quickly became 
a church planner, and he was traveling uh, throughout the world. He was planning churches. Most of the churches that began at that time in Asia could go back. They could be tied to the person and the ministry of Paul. And then he began to plant some churches in Europe. In fact, this church, the church in Philippi, was the first church uh, that Paul planted in the European region. And he began to just build relationships with people there. In fact, the first person we know he encountered was a lady by the name of Lydia. He encountered her at a prayer meeting uh, alongside of a river. He began to build a relationship with her, share the gospel with her. Eventually, Paul is sharing the gospel throughout the entire city of Philippi. And, and I don't know if you've experienced this. I imagine you have if you've experienced life with Jesus. But, but Jesus tends to turn things upside down. And so as people began a relationship with God... Things get a little bit different in the city. People get angry. Eventually, Paul lands in prison. Him and his buddy Silas are in prison. They're chained uh, uh, to a jailer or to a wall. An earthquake comes in the middle of the night. The chains shake free. The jailer is about to end his life. Paul tells him, hey, do not do that. We are all still here. And in that moment, he leads the jailer and eventually the, the jailer's entire family to Jesus. Those are some of the people that would have made up the church in Philippi. And so Paul builds the church, he leaves, it's what he does regularly, he leads, he goes on, he continues to share the gospel. Eventually, Paul finds himself in a Roman prison, and while he is in prison, he begins to write letters to the churches that he had founded or he had visited. And one of the letters that he writes, we call the book of Philippians, and he's writing to his people, the people that he left there, he's writing to be an encouragement to them, and as we walk through the book of Philippians, we're going to discover that over and over and over again, Paul reminds the people that you can choose to be joyful, that the reason we can choose to be joyful, we're going to discover, is that we have a God that we can trust. In fact, you're taking notes, write this down just so you know where we are. Paul later wrote to the church in Philippi from prison. Don't miss it. This is important. You need to remember all throughout this series that Paul is writing from prison. He's not writing from a a place of privilege. He's not writing from a massive home on a seashore somewhere. He literally is chained to a person or to a wall, and he's writing to thank them for the gift they had sent him and to encourage them in their faith. And so over and over again, he's reminded them, hey, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to experience joy, the same joy that he's experiencing, even though his circumstances at the moment are not really good. And so a working definition that we're going to use as we walk through series for joy is this, is joy is the emotion evoked by the prospect or or anticipation of possessing what one desires. Joy is the emotion evoked by the prospect Look, or the anticipation. In other words, my joy does not come from what's going on around me. It comes from what I'm anticipating on the other side of what's going on around me. Do you get that? And because it's something I'm anticipating, joy is something that can never be taken from you. That's why joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. Write it down. It's a choice. It's something that you choose to do. It's something that you choose to experience. Happiness is not a choice. Happiness is largely based on what's going on around us. If I were to hop off of the platform and I were to walk up to to Nate here on the second row and I were to say, hey, buddy, I have a lake house and I'm about to give it to you, that would be happiness, right? His circumstances just got really good, but then I slap him on the shoulder and go, man, I'm just joking. I don't have a lake house to give away. I just took his happiness away, right? Happiness comes and goes depending on what's going on around us. But if, but if the anticipation 
is inside of me, that something good is going to come regardless of what's happening around me, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to take that away. Right? You can't take joy from someone. Joy can never be taken. It can only be given. You can choose to give it away, but we choose to be people of joy. Look, it's about the anticipation. That's why in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says this. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the, don't miss it, who for the joy where set before him, not the joy he was about to experience, but the joy he was going to experience afterwards, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, Jesus was not happy to go through crucifixion, but he experienced joy in the moment because he knew the Father was working something far greater than what he was about to experience on the other end. You see, it's an anticipation. It's a looking forward to. It's something that I experience from the inside. Now, with that in mind, let's jump into Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. He, he begins just by introducing himself, and then he gets into the body of it at verse 4, and he says, Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with a joy. Don't forget, where's he at? He's in prison. But whenever I pray, now in prison... I make my request with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ uh, from the time you first heard it until, until now. That's joy, right? I'm in prison, but I'm telling you that I still have joy in my life. And here's where our joy comes from, right? Don't, here's the point of the day, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking this. But if you want joy in your life, your joy will always come. It will always come from the trust that you have in God. In fact, write it down. My trust in God produces uh, joy in my life. It's my trust in God. The fact that He is working. He is active. He is moving. He is bringing something good about regardless of what's going on around me that I know He's doing something and He's working and He's active and He's not away somewhere sleeping, but God is still bringing about His purpose and His meaning no matter what's going on in my life. He's working. Right? He's working. He said this, Paul said this to the letter in verse 6. He said, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work. Look at what he said. He didn't say he will continue it as long as things are going good. But I'm certain that God who began working within you will continue. Regardless, he will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So our joy comes from our trust. In our God, right? And we can trust a few things. We can trust that God is working through our circumstances. He's working through our circumstances. Some of you guys walked in the room today and life is good. Maybe you even thought about it on the way in. You're like, God, I never thought I would be living the way that I'm living now. I didn't think I'd have the kind of home that I have, the kind of family that I have, the job that I have that I love doing. I didn't think I would have all this stuff. I didn't think I would be experiencing life the way I am in circumstances for you right now are really good. There are other people who walked in today in circumstances not so much, right? You're wondering, you're thinking, man, I don't know why my spouse would ever do that or say that. You're thinking, man, I don't know why my coworkers would turn on me like that. Lord, I don't know why I'm having to experience the things with my children that I'm having to experience Right now, and in both of those situations, here's what I want you to know. In both of those situations, when circumstances are really good and when they're really bad and when they're somewhere in between, you can choose to be 
a joyful person because in the midst of all of those, God is still working and he's still active. He's working through our circumstances. So jot these things down. Paul mentions a few different ways that God is working in the midst of things as he walks through chapter 1. And the first thing he tells us is that he's working when we feel stuck. When we feel stuck. You've been there in life, right? You just feel like you're just kind of going through the day every day and nothing is happening, right? If there was a theme for 2020, would it not be that, right? We felt stuck sometimes for weeks on end at our home. We wanted to go out and eat at our favorite restaurants. We want to go have a good time, but you're stuck at home with your hamburger helper for the eighth night in a row, right? It's just you're stuck. You don't feel like you're accomplishing anything. You get up, you do what you're supposed to do. You go to work, you come home, maybe you own a home, you fix things around the house that you're irritated that keep breaking. You do what you're supposed to do. You clean the house, you, you parent your children, you go to bed, you get up, you do the thing all over again the next day, and you don't feel like you're accomplishing anything. You just feel like you are stuck. Listen, Paul was literally stuck. There was nowhere that he could possibly go. He's in prison. He can't get out. He can't do anything that he wants to do unless a jailer gives him permission. He's stuck. And in the midst of being stuck, he reminds the people that he's writing to in Philippi that God is still working. He says this, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. In other words, it's not good for me right now, but it's good for God. It's helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And then he goes on to say this, And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence, and they boldly speak God's message without fear. It's Paul's message to the church in Philippi that even though I'm stuck, God is still working and he's still moving. Look, it's the same message for you and me today. Maybe that's you. You walked in and you just feel like life is doing the same day over and over again. It's Groundhog Day for you, right? It's never ending, and you don't feel like you're making any progress on anything, whether it be spiritual or physical or anything in between, and you feel stuck. I want you to know that although you feel stuck, you can have joy because you can trust that in the middle of the circumstances that you feel stuck, God is still still moving. And then he goes on to say this. He says that not only is God working when we feel stuck, but he's working when we feel attacked. He's working when we feel attacked. You're felt attacked, right? Has anybody not? At some point, you feel like some somebody or something is attacking you. Maybe it's spiritual warfare, and you think, man, every time I begin to gain ground in my relationship with God, I feel like something happens, and it pushes that relationship backward, and it feels like spiritual attack, that I keep trying to get my family in order, and I keep trying to do the right things, but it feels like I just keep getting pushback after pushback after pushback. Maybe it's an actual person. Maybe it's somebody in this room, and you go, man, I just don't know why you do not like me. I don't understand why it feels like you are always pushing against me, and you don't want to see me be successful. And anytime something good happens in my life, I feel like you are right behind me to put it it down and discount anything that has happened. Paul is experiencing something similar to that. He's already in prison, so he's stuck. While he's in prison, there's a group of guys going around, and they're running him down behind his back. Some of them are talking about the way that that he delivers his messages. 
Like, yeah, he, he shouldn't deliver his messages that way. Some of them are attacking what he teaches. Some of them are attacking his very theology. There are those who are saying that Paul is not an apostle at all, that he shouldn't even be doing ministry. And he writes concerning that, he says this, he says those others do not have pure motives. In other words, the people that are attacking him, they do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached. Either way, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Look, when I was first going into ministry, I I was at a, a small church that I grew up at and the pastor there invested in me and there were days that I would spend just with him in his office and we'd talk through what God was teaching me and we'd talk through some things that were going on in church. He'd try to prepare me for ministry the best that he could by giving me insight into kind of the way that church runs and dealing with people who sometimes are kind of difficult to deal with. We walked through all those tight things, how to develop a message and how to determine when God is speaking to you and how to lead the church forward. We walked through all this kind of stuff, and he invested in me day after day after day, and he also let me do a lot of stuff at church he probably shouldn't have let me do, right? He's like, man, just go try that, see how, how that works out. I went to him at the age of 17, and I said, hey, I believe God is leading me to do a student revival here at our church. Now, it was a thing back then. We're going to invite all the youth groups in the area together. We're going to invite them to invite their friends. We're all going to gather. We're going to worship. We're going to have a good time. And we're going to do church way different than the way our church was used to doing it. All right? And we're going to bring them in. And so he goes, yeah, man, go ahead. Go for it. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> and so at 17, he told me to, to start planning that. We got a group of friends together. We built the team. We began to plan the event. We determined what it was going to look like, what each night was going to represent, a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday night. And, and we began to host the event. So Friday rolls around. And uh, we've brought in lights, you know, a lot like what we use now. That is not what we were used to there. We brought in lights. We brought in a sound system that was really loud. I know some of you guys don't like loud stuff. It's fun. It brings energy. So we brought that in, and it, it was a good time. I mean, it was a really good time. We brought in a band, and they let us in worship each night. And the first night, seven or eight people gave their life to Christ. And I remember kind of at that point going, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I just want to share the gospel and watch God change lives because he'll do it. And, and I said, that's what I want to do. The next night, same thing, more more hype, if you will, than the first night, more people there. The worship center is full, more people giving their life to Jesus. And, and the next morning, our church walks in and all of that stuff is still there. It's Again, it's not what they're used to. Right, and I'm not saying that's bad. We were we were thrones on the stage, right? We sang out the hymnal. That was that was the kind of church that we were, and that's exactly fine. God still works and moves in those types of places too. But we had brought in something completely different, and it's still there on the stage. Lights, all of it. It's a little awkward. We get through Sunday morning, and everybody goes home. And what I didn't count on was that a lot of people that were there on Sunday morning, out of curiosity would just come back on Sunday night. And these were not people that enjoyed student ministry, right? <laughs> they didn't. They didn't enjoy jumping around. They didn't enjoy clapping their hands. They didn't like loud music. They didn't like lights that they felt like were going to blind them and they were never going to see again, right? They didn't like that stuff. And so it was really not a good experience. And they went through that night, but again, at the end of the night, people are making decisions. I remember walking off 
of the platform and walking out the back doors of the church because it was hot and I just needed to, to breathe. Someone's closing out the service and there is a guy from our church, a leader in the church, standing on the back porch of the church. And I looked at him, waiting for him to say, what you guys have done is amazing. Would you believe that's not what he said? He goes, I tell you, there's a place for music like that. He goes, it's in a barn. And I said, you know, I would do it in a barn. If we felt people would come and we could lead them to Jesus, we'd do it in a barn. And he just turned around and he walked off. And I remember going from someone who was really excited about what God has done to someone who was borderline depressed because someone would question anything that I've done, right? Hopefully I've matured a little bit since then. Here's, here's what I've learned as I've walked with Jesus. Here's what I've learned. To feel like you'll never be attacked is foolish. It's just foolish. That if you're taking any kind of stand for the gospel, if you're living for God on any level, you should just do it knowing that at some point you're going to be attacked. Look, you're going to be attacked spiritually. It's going to happen. Spiritual warfare will take place in your life. There are going to be people that, people that you love. They're going to attack you. There are going to be things that you have to work with and things that you have to deal with. But in the midst of those attacks, guess what? God's still working. He's still working. And he's still bringing about his plans. And he's still bringing about his purpose. That's why the Bible says this in the book of James. It says, Dear brothers and sisters... When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? For great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Even though you feel attacked. Listen, God is still working and he's still active and he's still moving. Paul lays it out. He says one more circumstance that God's still working in. And he says this. He says that he's working when things feel unclear. There are times you feel stuck. There are times you feel attacked, and then there are times where you just don't know what's going on, right? I don't know. I don't know, God, what, what you're doing. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish. I don't know what you're trying to bring about. Maybe you're at a decision point in your life, and you're trying to determine what it is that God wants you to do, and you have no idea. And you're thinking, God, it's just unclear. Everything in my life right now is unclear. It just does not make sense. Paul begins to talk in his letter. I would encourage you to read to read a chapter a week as we go through this. And so I know we didn't give you a heads up on that, but but in chapter one, he's beginning to wrap up the first chapter and he begins to talk about whether or not he will get out of prison. And it's unclear. He don't know. He don't know what's going to happen in his life. And so he begins to carry on this conversation. And he says, You know what, I might get out. And if I do, that'd be good for the gospel. If I get out, I'm going to go and I'm going to continue to share the gospel. And people are going to know the truth. And, and I'm going to introduce people to Jesus. But then he goes, but, but you know what? Maybe not. Maybe I won't get out. And if I don't get out, that means that they're going to execute me. And if they execute me, that means I just go live forever with Jesus. And so his thought is that the worst thing that you can do to me is usher me into the presence of the Savior that I live for. And so he goes, I got joy. Regardless, let me go and more people will know Jesus. Execute me. My life and mission will be complete and I'll go live forever with him. He puts it this way in the passage. He says, for, for, for me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. In other words, I don't know. I don't know what God's doing. 
I don't know what he's going to bring about. I don't know what the end of this circumstance is going to be. But I do know this, that God's working. That he's working regardless of the circumstance that you find yourself in. Again, you can rest assured that you serve a God who is still working. Paul begins to wrap up the first chapter. And as he wraps it up, I'm reminded of this truth. That I can trust, not only is God working in my circumstances, but I can trust that God is still working in me. Listen, God's not just working around you, he's working in you. In every situation, in every circumstance that you find yourself in is a circumstance and a situation that he wants to use. Listen, not just to bring about his will in the world, but to bring about his will in your life. To bring about his will in you. Because I, I, I struggled with self-image problems for a long time as, as a teenager and then into to young adulthood. And I ain't talk about it much. And, and I don't mean as far as the way I look. Look, I know that I'm a handsome man. You don't have to tell me that. I know that. But, but I mean just what I was able to do. Like, was I worth the investment of my parents and my teachers and the people that were investing in me? Because I found myself to be average at a lot of stuff. I played sports growing up, and believe it or not, I was average at them. I did. I was average. There were other hobbies that I took up, and I was average at those things too. As I was going through school and getting my grades, I remember my dad, for a large portion of the time I was in school, constantly talking to me about the AB honor roll and things of that sort. And I remember the last report card I remember bringing home. I remember handing it to my dad, and my dad just going, Hey, son, just graduate. Right? Just graduate. Like, I'm not even worried about A's and B's or C's anymore. I just want that when these years are over, they give you a sheet of paper that says he finished. Right? He got through it. Just just graduate. It was average. It seemed like everywhere I turned, all I found was average. But at some point, at some point, I surrendered my life to Jesus, and I began to see him working in me. And what I discovered was that, that God had put gifts inside of me, and he hadn't put things inside of me to be average, but he had created me, and he would made me special, and he put special gifts inside of me because he had a special purpose for my life. And I want you to know that's not just a promise for Daniel. That's a promise for you, that there's a God who created you, and he created you special, and he created you unique. And he, he put special gifts inside of you because there's a special plan and purpose that he has for your life. And in every circumstance you find yourself in, he's using that to bring about those plans and those purposes and those gifts. And so you can have joy when it seems like life has fallen apart because you have a God who is continuing to work inside of you. The Bible shows this over and over and over and over again. As Jesus is ending his ministry, he shows it to a person named Peter. I'm reminded of when, when I struggle with this. There's still times that I go, man, I'm just, I'm just average, right? Just getting by, just living life until I'm dying. Every time God reminds me of a piece of artwork that hung in a Sunday school room when I was growing up. I remember, I can tell you, it's the last room on the left at the church I grew up in. It has a color carpet that no other room in the building has. I do not know why it is still there, and it's still that way to this day. I checked it out a year ago. still right there. I remember Sunday as a little kid walking into that room, hanging on the left, 
and going in there and sitting down and looking at a piece of artwork on the wall day or Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And it was a picture of a little boy who was pretty mischievous looking. And he had his hands like this on his chin, but you could tell in his eyes there was something going on. And some of the worst English ever written was around the, was around the picture, and it said this. It said, I know I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. <laughs> I know I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. Listen, you are somebody. You're somebody. God didn't make a mistake when he made you, and he did not create you to be average. And maybe you walked in the room today, and maybe you're walking out of a failure, and you think that it's over, that God's finished with you, that he's done with you. I want you to know before you go today, you can choose joy because God is not finished with you. He's not done with you. He's not done with your life. He's not done with your family. He's not done with your home. He's not done with your ministry. He's not done yet. He's not done yet. Jesus shows this to the person of Peter. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He walked with him. He learned from him. Jesus taught him what it meant to do ministry. For three years, Jesus had tried to teach him what was about to happen. And as Jesus is getting ready to give his life, Peter makes this bold statement. And he says, hey, Jesus, all of these guys may run away, but I will die for you if it's necessary. And Jesus tells him, he goes, Peter, that sounds all well and good, but I want you to know before the rooster crows, you're going to deny you even know me three times. Jesus is arrested. Peter follows as Jesus is arrested. And someone goes, hey, you're, you're one of them, right? You're one of the guys that was hanging out with Jesus. You're one of his disciples. He goes, no, no, you got me mistaken for somebody else. A little while later in the night, someone goes, hey, you're one of them, right? You, you follow Jesus. You learn from him. No, I don't know him. You must have me mistaken for someone, someone else. A third time, Peter's around a campfire and a little girl looks at him. And says, you're, you're him, right? You're one of those guys. And Peter swears and he says, I do not even know him. I don't know him. Shortly after that, a rooster crows. And you know Peter must have been living every moment of that over and over and over again as he thought back to the, I'm never going to betray you. They may all run away, but not me, Jesus. I've got it together. And now he's dealing with one of the worst failures in his life. And Jesus, he does. He dies on a cross. They bury him. He's raised from the grave. And Jesus begins to interact with people, including his disciples again. But Peter is still not quite ready. He's not quite ready to believe that God isn't through with him. And so he tells a group of guys, he goes, hey, don't know about you guys, but I think we should go back fishing. This is not, I need to relax. Let's go get in the boat and catch some crappie, right? This is, this is what I did before, and this is what I'm going back to. I'm going back to the life that I used to live because I feel like I've blown it over here, and I have nothing else to offer. And so he does. He goes, and he begins to fish, and he fishes all night. We don't have time to cover it here. But an exchange happens with a guy from the shore. Peter immediately recognizes that it's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat. He runs to the shore. Jesus has breakfast ready for them. It, it goes down like this. There's a conversation that takes place. And Jesus speaking. And he asked Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. 
you know I love you. And then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. It's a pretty unique moment in Scripture where Jesus is almost reenacting the betrayal that Peter had and giving him a chance to make that betrayal right. And so he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Each time Peter affirms, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus gives him a command. Then because you love me, here's what you should do. You should feed my sheep. This is what I've given you to do. It's a, it's a moving passage in and of itself. But if we read it in the original language, we discover something that the words used for love there are two different words. There's one word, agape, that the word that Jesus is speaking at the beginning where he says, Peter, do you love me? He uses this word, agape, and Scripture uses it to describe God's love for us. It's the love that drove Jesus to the cross, literally to give up his life for you and for me. It's a self-sacrificing kind of love that doesn't take self into the equation, but completely removes it and says, I'm going to do what's best for you. And then there's a word follows, which is the word that Peter is answering Jesus with. And it goes like this. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape? Do you love me? And Peter answers, Lord, I phylos, which really means I like you a lot. Right? I like you. This is not what you want to hear. Right? Do you remember the first time you told someone you loved them? This would be like them going, thank you. Right? Like, hey, I've been thinking about this. You just, oh, I love you. Thank you. That's not what you're looking for. Right? That's what's happening. Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, I follow you. Look, he's already messed this up one time. He's not going to mess it up again. I'm sure he's thinking, Lord, I wish I were here. I wish that I could say that from this moment on, life is not going to be about me at all, but I'm going to do exactly what you have for me, what you created for me. I'm going to push myself out of the equation and live for you, but he's not there. And so he says, Lord, I like you. The second time, the same thing occurs. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape? Do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know, I phylos. I like you a lot. I like you a lot. And then don't miss it. The third time, Jesus says, Peter... Do you phylos me? Do you like me? And the Bible says that Peter was grieved. Listen, I don't think he was grieved because he's playing back what had happened before. He's grieved because now him and Jesus both have acknowledged the truth. So Peter, do you like me a lot? And Peter was grieved. And he said, Lord, I phylos. I like you a lot. I like you a lot. Hey, here's what I want you to see. That after every time, Jesus gave a command to Peter. Jesus said, hey, do you phylos me? Ultimate love. Peter said, I can't say that, but I can't say I, I really like you. Right? I'm not quite there yet, but I really, really like you. And Jesus gave him a command. He didn't say, come back later. He said, then go feed my sheep. Jesus asked him again, Peter do you agape? Do you love me? Self-sacrificing kind of love. Do you love me that way? And Peter, again, not willing to acknowledge it. He's not there. He says, Lord, I like you a lot. I've already messed this up one time. Jesus gives him a command. He says, feed my sheep. And a third time, Jesus asks him, do you phylos me? Do you like me? 
a lot. Peter goes, Lord, you know all things. You know where I'm at. You know the condition of my heart. You know I like you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Here's the point. Don't miss it. Jesus saying to Peter, you're not where you need to be, but I'm willing to start where you're at. I'm willing to start right where you are. Look, I want you to hear the same message today. I'm sure you walked in and there are things about your life, even things about your character that you wish were different. And I want you to know you don't have to get all of that worked out before Jesus wants to do something with you and through you. He's willing to start exactly where you are at. He's a God that can be trusted. He's a God that is working in everything that goes on around you. And he is a God that's not only working around you, he's working in you. And if you will allow him, he will bring about the gifts that he's placed inside of you. And he will make clear the purpose that he created you for. And you will have a reason to have joy in life like you've never had it before. You can trust him. Here's our next steps today. If you're going to apply this, step one is just simply to choose to trust Jesus for salvation. There's never been a point in your life where you said, look, I give my life to you. Right? I, I haven't got it put together. I haven't got it figured out. I'm going to choose to trust you for salvation. Then joy begins here. It starts here. Make that decision today. And then the second step is this, is that we're going to choose to trust Jesus every day. That every day when I get up and something happens and I don't like it or I don't know why it's happening, I'm going to say, I trust you anyway. And I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose joy because I have a God that can be trusted. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the way that you bless us. and Lord, the way that you care for us. God, I thank you that you don't waste anything that occurs in our life. God, that you use it. You're working and you're active and you're moving. And we can trust you. And God, because of that trust, we can choose joy. Because I'm going to ask if you would, just leave your heads bowed for a moment. And I want, I want you to invite God to speak to you. Just for a moment. If you're in the room or if you're watching us online, just a moment. Just say, Lord, I want you to speak to me. Am I a joyful person? Do I really trust that regardless of my circumstances, you're active and you're moving And that you're still working in and on me. Lord, speak to us. Hey, maybe you've never made the decision to trust Jesus as your Savior. Listen, it won't just change your life. It will change your eternity. The Bible's clear. It tells us that we've all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. It also tells us that the punishment for that sin is death. It means we've missed the mark. There are things in our life and in our hearts that we know shouldn't be there, things that go against the will and the character of God, and the punishment for that is death. But listen, Scripture also is really clear where it says, but the gift, but the gift of God is salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you've never trusted Jesus today, then I want you, I want you to trust Him. Say, Lord, today I give my life to you. I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short. I trust you for salvation. 
and I trust you for life. Lord, again, we thank you for who you are, God. I thank you that you are a God that brings about new life. I thank you that you're a God who gives us a reason to be joyful. Lord, you're a God who's still active and moving regardless of what the circumstances look like around us. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you just made a decision to follow Christ as your Savior, we are so excited for you. We want to help you in your next step. So if you will text the word, my decision, to 94,000, we would love to bring some information to you. And now we're going to bring our tithes and offering. You'll see a link on the screen that you can follow. Or you can go to myjourneychurch.com, click on the giving tab, and there you'll see easy steps to give your tithes and offering.